You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. Some people focus on selling processes like internet marketing or selling to senior level decision makers. Other people talk about process tools and measurement of data and systems thinking. But not many people talk about how these can be brought together to motivate people and create wealth for everyone. That's what we discuss in the Sales Process Excellence Podcast. I'm Michael Webb. And today, my guest is Josh Pitchford of Sandler. Welcome here, Josh. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes to chat today. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you, you know, what happened that led you up to being part of the Sandler Organization. It, it's funny, I, I not to make my story start with a, it was a dark and stormy night or anything like that to go that far back, but uh, it's uh, it's funny. Uh, the the short story is I've been exposed to sales my entire life. Uh, my parents owned uh, two small businesses that then got bigger, and so I was exposed from a very young age to. Uh, business principles, uh, sales, um, all those kind of things. And I, I was learning this stuff at a very young age by osmosis and didn't even realize it back then. I was just kind of bored with the whole thing because it was the same conversation every night at dinner. But now looking back on it, it was uh, massive as a background to, to get me started uh, on what turned out to be a career. And then a few years ago, I was the national director of sales of a of a company, we had about 650 salespeople, um, and I can talk about that more later. But uh, we found Sandler, and, and we wanted to implement Sandler across our process. Our process was good, uh, but we used the Sandler selling system in order to overlay our process and improve it. And I just fell in love with the process. A lot of the things were in, inherent um, to how I saw the process and saw the system. Uh, at how at what I brought already my my thinking, and, and that allowed me to kind of fall in love with it. And I decided I uh, wanted to go out and do it. And so I decided to become a trainer close to three years ago now mm. here in Alpharetta. Okay, all right. So, um, what was it about the quote process? Unquote? What, what mm-hmm. were the the principles or the the observations that you had made uh, that were so uh, you know, stirring to you, that were so motivating to you? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things there. I, I never wanted to be the, the high, pushy sales guy, the uh, stereotypical thing that if you go and Google sales guy and hit images on Google, you're going to see a, you know, Herb Tarlick dressed kind of guy and, I wanted to always avoid that. And so, um, you know, with Sandler and a lot of things I had learned uh, growing up is, you know, it's it, it's not what we want to pitch, so to speak. It's what does our prospect need and what are their reasons for wanting to do business with us? And, and instead of trying to push something down their throat, trying to understand what do they need and do I have something that uh, may fit their needs? And so, um, one of we have something in Sandler. It's a it's a book we have, and there's it's called the Forty Nine Sandler Rules. And uh, they only put forty nine in there because they couldn't make the thing as 
as big as War and Peace because there's about <laughs> 248 of them. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite Sandler rule is sell today, educate tomorrow. And I learned about that when I was about seven years old from my mom, um, that people talk too much during the sales process and they end up uh, uh, opening Pandora's box quite often on themselves by talking too much as opposed to asking questions to uncover more about the buyer's motives as opposed to their own. Okay. And so so since that uh, you made that observation at seven or your mother made it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just means more now that I'm, you know, older. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so, were there any other principles um, uh, that kind of uh, attracted you? Yeah, uh, I could go on for days, uh, but the big one, you know, and you and I have chatted about before that um, the fact that it's a system. And there's a, I mentioned earlier that we had a great process uh, at my previous employer, uh, but we wanted a system. And one of the things that uh, we uncovered there and that I continue to uncover with my clients now and new prospective clients that I go meet with is they typically have the 80-20 problem, right? The 80-20 rule, Pareto's principle, and we've all heard of it. And they wonder why. 80% of their production comes from 20% of their salespeople. Not that you've ever heard that or anything. Oh, yeah. Right? But really, it's because they don't have a reliable, proven, transferable system. And they don't know where it goes why, where it goes right and where it goes wrong. And they, their people are good because they do certain things. They do them consistently. Uh, they know it works. But then they can't scale that. They don't really know what they're doing. It's the same reason that, you know, a PGA Tour player is not maybe a very good teacher of the golf swing. They're so good they don't know why they do it. That's the reason some of your best salespeople can't tell you why they're so good. But when you have a system, you're able to, you know, have a system for prospecting and finding new opportunity, having a system for running opportunities from they, the minute they go in the funnel until they turn into revenue for the company and actually closing the opportunity and turning it into more opportunity inside those accounts. Um, your best people are doing those kind of things, but they don't really have a system. They just kind of do it. And, and so it's very difficult to scale those things. What I love about Sandler is there's a system in the process and everybody comes to us. They want to want us to, not everybody, but a lot of times we get, Hey, will you train our salespeople? We even were known as Sandler Training. And we're in the process right now of rebranding. We're actually dropping the training part because we're still going to do training. But we we have found that most companies need implementation of systems and processes, the things that are you know, reliable, proven, and transferable to make sales organizations great. And then they need to train their people to that. But there's a whole different layer than just, hey, come in and teach our people some you know, right. some tactics and hope for the best. Well, so I don't mean to pin you to the wall here, but let me ask you for a couple definitions because those are two mm -hmm. key words, right? Process sure. and system. What's yeah. the difference? Process and system, uh, the difference is, and how I've seen it is the process is everyone's got a sales process. And whether they know it or not, there is typically a, um, I see it as usually five to seven steps uh, it's longer, shorter, more in-depth based on the length of your sales cycle, obviously. 
Um, but that's the process. You should probably be able to kind of define that in five to seven steps, big steps. Then the mm-hmm. system is how do you go about executing those steps? So the step from hello to cha-ching, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Prospect to there's revenue. Mm-hmm. And how do you go about executing those set steps is what I see is the system overlaying the process. And that's what I get from a lot of people is, um, you know, prospective clients that they're a little nervous that I'm going to come in and kind of reinvent the wheel. Um, and I don't mean to do that. And I don't want to do that. Typically, I'm not going to redefine their process. But when you overlay the system on top of it, you find, you know, efficiencies in there that, you know, either help tighten up sales cycles, um, find more actionable pain from people and improve margin. I mean, a lot so of times we give me an example. Go ahead. Make that concrete. What's an example of that? So um, one of the companies I work with, long sales process, uh, nine to 18 months typically. They're in an industry that they do large, uh, complex programs. I won't get too deep into it. But for instance, we gave them a, a tool we use at Sandler called the Upfront Contract. And the upfront contract is one that you set expectations going into a meeting, and then you can use upfront contracts on the back end as what are the next steps? Um, layman's terms, it's, hey, what is our next step? But there's a system about going, making sure you get what we call it is a clear future. It's amazing how much work they were doing that resulted in lost opportunity that went in the pipeline, then, then buyers went dark. Mm-hmm. Or... Uh, those things that happened and they were finding themselves in follow up and chase mode all the time. And it was extending sales cycles and they were doing it themselves because they weren't locking down a clear future or clear next step before they left the table. And it wasn't and clear is not, Hey, give me a call next Tuesday. We'll set something up. That is as blurry as you can get. I much prefer, okay, here's the date. Here's the time that we're going to get together Here's what we're going to talk about. Here's why me as the the sales professional is coming back. Who else needs to be in the room? And so you've got those four things, date, time, agenda, and participants set up uh, for your next step before you even leave the room. Getting Ah. those clear futures helped tremendously as far as making sure more of what went in their funnel came out and shortening their sales cycle just uh, tremendously. Well, probably also it reduced the number of deals in the funnel down to the ones that were really deals. Because if you can't squeeze that those specifics out of a prospect, he might not be ready. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. It's a it's a great qualifier. And that's what Sandler's really all about is qualifying an opportunity. And when we uh when a I like to say when a suspect, if you will, oh won't agree to a clear future, uh that might be a really nice no. And you need to go for your no at that point that this might be not be a priority. They might not have the budget. They might not have actionable pain at this point. Uh, we need to go for no. They've disqualified themselves, and this isn't a priority to them right now to continue on in your cycle. And you can go move on and find a better prospect to spend your time with. And that can be a hard thing for a salesperson to accept, right? <laughs> yeah, we're all, well, all the sales folks, uh, all salespeople love for every deal to close, but I think that we all know that that's not going to happen. Uh, we're dealing with human beings here, and so uh, we're not going to close them all, but 
sales managers, sales leaders, presidents, owners, CEOs, they love it. All right. They're able to call a spade a spade and, and that's, hey, it's not a viable prospect right now. Let's move on. Right. We might need to go back and check in with them at another time. And sometimes that clear future is it's not a right time now, but let's get clearer on when we should be reaching back out to see if it makes sense to rekindle the conversation. All right. So now there is another meaning uh, for the word system. Sure. And as a, uh, I was in the sales training industry, as you know, uh, for mm-hmm. uh, more than seven years. And um, this was one of the reasons that I left the sales training industry <laughs> because, and you've seen this too, I want you to tell me the extent to which you've seen this, where, where in sales it is, they are, they want you to sell smart. They'll pay for training to help you sell smart, right? And they'll give you these methods and techniques, um, like for qualifying and, getting a specific agreement on next steps uh, mm-hmm. and so forth, as you were talking about. Um, and it still, um, in the end, it matters if we make the number, nothing else, right? And right. in a, a system, and I'm looking in the appendix on my book here for the definition, it's a set of connected things or parts forming a complex whole that works together for a specific purpose. And in sales, the tradition is to the salesperson, you got to manage the front of your funnel, funnel, right? Prospecting enough. And then you got to manage the deals and qualifying. And then you got to manage the closing. And you can't spend too much time trying to close the deals you have now because you got to keep prospecting at the front end. And, you know, that all can be true, particularly in an environment where the salesperson is responsible for everything. But it also is a way to run yourself ragged because you can't do all that stuff in in many environments, particularly today, where, you know, customers don't want to talk to salespeople. They want to look up information on the Internet. The sales guy can't control what's on the Internet. And so the sales guy's sales manager's response is just work harder. Uh, I mean, you can tell from my voice, I get <laughs> because they hold salespeople accountable to get the result, and yet there is no feedback here saying, wait a second, this salesman's at capacity, right? He can't really do any more. What part of this is his responsibility and his, you know, does he have control over? What part does he not have control over? Is there a way to make this work more uh, effective and not just push people to work harder? So, I mean, stop. I, I, I probably loaded that with all kinds of my own biases and stuff. But you see what I mean by the difference between a system? It's this environment with feedback that we respond to. It, and it's not just a salesperson. It's the whole bullpen, the whole sales force, the whole region. Um, mm-hmm. And it's finding, winning, and keeping, right? And it's not strictly just about salespeople do and trying to make sure the salespeople are working as hard as they can. And each individual salesperson is, is as expert as they can be and not analyzing it any further. Absolutely. A um, couple things that I always uh, kind of hang my hat on, and I'm making a couple of notes here as we chat. Uh, one thing that I always bring up very early in my own process um, as I'm qualifying opportunities with different sales organizations I work with is um, we get the call every now and then 
hey, we want you to train our salespeople. And then the the leadership, sales management, um, or leadership and company thinks that they're not going to be involved and we're just responsible for training their salespeople. Uh, that's a non-starter for us. Yeah, magic pill. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> teach them the magic words. Yep, teach them the magic right. words and you're done. Yeah, exactly. And it's... Uh, it's such a non-starter that, that we covered very early in our process. If that's their mindset, we're just not a fit because they're throwing their money away um, because it's not going to become cultural and, you know, not to continue to work, use different levels of the word system, but it's not going to come systemic and cultural throughout um, throughout the organization like it should. Um, and they're not going to understand why we're telling their salespeople to go out and do certain things like, Using a system for qualifying. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, salespeople are out working way too hard because they're not disqualifying enough opportunities. Um, right. And they're chasing bad deals and not realizing bad prospects are taking you away from really great opportunities. And, and the opportunity costs are so great in spending too much time with bad prospects and right. doing things like unpaid consulting and RFPs, RFQs, and all these things that maybe we shouldn't be responding to those, depending on your world, and it might not be a fit, and who knows? Um, maybe we need to look into those. And so I end up spending an inordinate amount of time with each of my clients. I, I'm very diligent about spending a lot of time with the sales leaders, all the way up to presidents, owners, CEOs. I, I spend a lot of time with them, because when they understand the why and they typically get it very very quickly because mm-hmm. they see the opportunity cost of chasing bad business quicker mm-hmm. uh it's um it's fun to wa- open up their eyes and all of a sudden they see wow we don't have to work so hard if we qualify and we still close more business because by the end by the time we get down to the end we can close a lot more business because we ha- we're much more honed in on the right kind of prospects, solving the right pain, um, and and we've done we've done our homework to get to that point, mm-hmm. as opposed to chasing our tail with bad prospects. Mm-hmm. Very good. So so with your uh, clients, uh, and I just let me ask this question about measurement. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure when you get salespeople in a room and they start to get the idea of it and some enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And particularly when they are beginning to have some successes, uh, mm-hmm. that there are, uh, I mean, close ratios improve and all that sort of good stuff. But I guess my experience is that most companies, they really don't pay a lot of attention to trying to measure that in any organized or structured or kind of a way. They just kind of go by feel. Uh, is that what your experience is too? Is that what you see? I, I've seen it plenty. I mean, I've, I've actually had the thought in my mind. Um, my previous employer, you know, they, they were fantastic. We, we measured everything. <laughs> so uh, I'm very data driven. Uh, that's one part of my personality profile that doesn't fit uh, <laughs> what I typically am, but I like data and I like to be able to measure results. And so mm-hmm. I, I've had the thought multiple times meeting with certain companies, um, first or second time going, wow, 
How have they been as successful and gotten as big as they are without paying attention to this? Right. Right. And, you know, it's a, it's a passing thought. I don't say that out loud, but we, we end up changing the culture that is okay. And we start asking some very pertinent questions that maybe they don't know the answer to, and it might make them a little not okay that they don't know the answer to it, but it makes them realize we need to start measuring some of these things. And we set up success criteria. What is it now? What would we like it to be? And, you know, with our clients, we, we, we do a quarterly value review with our clients. And we sit down, we talk about you know, what what's going well, what's not going well, what does the team need? How are these particular metrics that we agreed on the front end that we were going to measure? And mm-hmm. how are we tracking with those? What do you think is influencing those? How can we better influence those numbers? Um, and have that conversation bare minimum quarterly uh, with our clients that we kind of hit the reset button in that way. And I think just having that accountability on the upper level has a tendency to breed more accountability um, on the lower levels. And it allows us at the upper levels with, you know, sales leaders, presidents, owners, CEOs, those kind of people that we're chatting with, we can actually measure, we can look at their results. But we we preach a Sandler rule with our salespeople, uh, manage your behavior, not your number. And they get so wrapped around, you know, the results that they forget to do the behaviors that get them there. Well, and by yeah, result, and by use, use the word number, manage your behavior. Don't manage the number, manage your behavior. Mm-hmm. But by the number, mm-hmm. you mean their revenue, right? Their the revenue, their revenue. quota, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so when you have those quarterly meetings with clients, mm-hmm. and good on you for having them, um, like what kinds of charts and graphs and activity measurements are involved? Not just revenue measurements, but activity measurements. Sure, uh, you know a fair amount of our clients they they, they have a uh, they have an outbound prospecting element to their role. It's uh, and we help them chart everything. How many attempts are your you know your inside or you know if your outside people are responsible for that? And there might be different layers. You know if you some of the quote unquote year about now modern modern sales organizations they might have. They have all the way from sales development reps to inside sales reps to mm-hmm. outside sales reps, account executives, and they all may have different layers in their roles. But um, we look at okay, how many attempts are they making? How many significant conversations are they getting in with new prospects? How many new meetings are they booking? Mm-hmm. And then from there, looking at what are the measurable leading lagging indicators before we even get to revenue that we need to pay attention to. And we have a, and this just popped into my mind. It's uh, the five dials. And you might've heard this before, but another great Sandler trainer in our, uh, uh, in our network. I don't know what that is. Go ahead. The five dials. Uh, You know, when you go into, it's not so much now, but you go into a cockpit on an airplane, Mm -hmm. the old timey ones, right? That they had dials all over the place. Yep. No pilot could keep up with all that. Uh, my brother flies wide bodies for American Airlines. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody could keep up with that. But there's five dials, five things that they need to pay attention to every, every single minute of the flight. And maybe in sales, it's every single day, every single week, we need to pay attention to these five dials. But we know enough that if we see one of those dials out of whack, we know where to go look, to go 
look at where's the true problem at. And so we're tracking, encourage them to track their five dials on a daily, weekly basis. And then probably every month have a download on the next layer, the lagging indicators, and then those quarterly value reviews are where we really take a large look at the business as a whole and where's the sales organization headed, what are other problems inside the business or other areas that may need improvement, mm-hmm. whether it be customer service, leadership, management, all the other things that we do as well. Marketing, lead generation. We could go on for days, right? Yeah. Very good. Very good. So how many of your uh, 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 client companies actually have uh, management systems in place to track these improvement ideas and so that they're following them through and actually making changes and actually proving that, you know, they're improved, that things are getting better? All of them once they start working with us. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> very rarely do we walk in that they're all set in stone. Uh, it's music to my ears when I uh, interact with a new prospective client that is already doing these kind of things. I was meeting with a guy this week that was already talking about building out his sales playbook. And I'm like, wow, you are on top of it. And, you know, when I meet with a, I've met with new prospective clients before that have walked in with, with key metrics already charted. And wow. And they're part, they're pointing to, true numbers that they want to improve. And so that's, that's the rare occasion though, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of our role is that a lot of times, um, you know, we hear, well, they just need to go out and make more calls. They just need to do more. And they, they're not really tracking what is more, what are you hoping to get out of more? If they're already yeah, more doing more and not doing it well, what's the point? Yeah. Uh, it can't be just work harder because it can't be that big limit to that. Absolutely. It's hard for some companies to not do. I mean, it's hard to not do. Absolutely. But we have to realize our most precious resource is time. And it's not just do more. It's do do better and more improved things with the time we're granted. And so uh, we help them identify those things that are going to be the highest and best payoff. What are those five dials they need to be paying attention to? Uh, what are those key uh, key indicators, those kind of things that we need to be paying attention to all the time that are going to lead to success, which is, you know, everybody looks at the final scoreboard, right? Um, and we, we back it down to find out what are the true behaviors that we need to implement and the accountability structure that needs to be in place in order to make that better. Well, so as you um, look at clients and deal with clients, where would you say the biggest uh sales problems are typically biggest sales problems are uh number one not enough prospecting activity um it's uh i was actually talking to someone earlier today one of the biggest problems that i see is either uh, new in their career um, sales professionals don't even know what to do to do prospecting activity you know on its most basic form for instance, it's uh, they they don't do their prospecting dials, for instance, because they either one have call reluctance because quite quite frankly they don't even know what to say if someone answers the phone. So if they do make a dial, it's you know all through the rings. It's they're praying for voicemail the whole time, and we know how many voicemails get returned. Um, and so all the way from there, 
And then once they get established and once they, they've got a book of business and they're rolling and they're getting meetings and they're getting proposals and they're getting new sales and new clients and all these things, they forget to do the things that got them to where they are. And so they don't leave time to find new business and new logos um, and keep the flywheel going, so to speak. Yeah. It takes a while to get that flywheel going when you're new. Uh, and it may be not take as much to keep it going, but far too often more established salespeople are the ones that they just, they don't, they don't do anything. And then all of a sudden it dries up and then they got to go get that flywheel yeah. going again. And that's the hardest so, thing. So let me ask you this question. Cause you said, um, they're not doing enough prospecting. So is that a problem mm-hmm. or is that a solution that they need to do more prospecting? Well, I, I would say that that, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a problem that they always need to go in and put more put more in uh that they're not doing enough on uh the prospecting side but certainly uh activity cures everything uh oh, it does it, absolutely it does good activity cures everything uh as long as we are uh qualifying opportunities and making sure when we are doing our activity, we're doing it with intentionality, right? And, and far too often people, and going back to your point about uh, just work harder, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's not enough activity going on uh, at times to support the kind of metrics they want to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have to be very intentional about it that they're out just making cold dials. Well, are they doing the things to, to keep the opportunity they already have? Okay. Are they so, do, are they just concentrating on attaining new? Right. So, but are you're they, looking at this yeah. and let me, let me forgive me here for pushing back. Sure. I mean this in all, on all due respect, um, that you're looking at this in a manner of what the salesperson does. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm sure you've seen cases in some businesses where, the salesperson um, wasn't necessarily the only one who could go out and do prospecting. There was marketing handled effectively, trade shows handled effectively, mm-hmm. advertising handled effectively that was able to cause the salesperson to be engaged with a qualified prospect instead of having to go dig ditches and trenches and knock on doors sure. and all that. I mean, right? Absolutely. And, you know, in, in this day and age, it's it's a concerted effort. And, you know, to further clarify what I was talking about there is, you know, it's a it's a issue I typically through, see throughout the organization that the sales leader just says do more without giving them any direction on what to do mm-hmm. and how to best qualify and spend their time appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the reason we end up training sales leaders just as much as we do sales people. Yeah. Because many sales leaders have been put into that position because they were the best salesperson. And quite often those skill sets are are independent of one another. So and they were the go ahead. Yeah, I got you. So 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 uh don't forgive me for interrupting there, but so but it brings up a an a story, an example that mm-hmm. I ran across some a number of years ago. And I wonder if this would resonate with you. Um, so, so we worked with a client and national account team, and they're not growing revenue the way they needed to, and all the salespeople felt bad about it. 
Mm-hmm. And so we started examining, uh, you know, what, what I call the undesirable results. What's the evidence and data we don't like? And that's a, it's something from process improvement that, that, that is a very, it's a precision in how we use our language. So we don't confuse, um, potential solutions and potential causes with actually you know, the evidence and data that we don't like. We're not making our number. We don't have enough qualified prospects. That's the evidence and data we don't like. The fact that we're not prospecting enough, that's a potential solution, right? Mm-hmm. So, so so we need to distinguish those things in order to actually have evidence and data lead us to what changes might actually create improvement. So long story short, this company found, you know, a salesman would spend six months and he'd land a big deal. And then he had to spend the next six months making sure that the right pieces and parts and fittings had landed at the right store at the right time with the right service rep, you know, because nobody else in the company was doing that. Right. And so it was the the customer service part, servicing after the sale, that was the bottleneck. And literally, they were spending 90% of their time on that. And it had never been examined before. And so when they examined it and said, oh, my goodness, we had to fix that and started actually fixing it, then salespeople, maybe only 50% of their time was being spent on that part of the business. And now salespeople at last, you know, they could move to working on finding new accounts and doing prospecting. And so the bottleneck, we call it the bottleneck moved, right, out to the market, trying to find people who would buy from them. And so they started calling on new accounts, and they were shocked. Because the accounts weren't calling them back. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so they realized that they didn't know how to approach a new account and open these new relationships. And, okay, well, let's go to the marketing department. They have to know how to do that, right? That's marketing. So let's have marketing do a lead generation campaign for us. And it was a rude awakening to realize that the marketing department had less of an idea how to do it than the sales department did, Right? And so this took many months for this to unfold. And ultimately, one of the things we found out was that the company didn't have proof statements for the value of its products. They didn't have, they, they were a mature industry. And back at the beginning of the industry, they had the differentiation because their product definitely created the result, solved the problem for customers. But now most people already had one of these systems. This was water filtration system. Uh, right. Most people already had one, and there was no reason to switch to my clients because they didn't have good proof statements. Why not? Well, they were doing some sort of research in the engineering department to compare their product with competitors. But, you know, the research, the funding for that that research had been kind of put off for a while. This was like five years before. <laughs> and so they didn't have these proof statements. So it was much harder to, you know, differentiate themselves in the market. Right. So you call that doing the why, 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 why it got down to a systemic issue in the management of the company where they had deprioritized doing the, the research, the product and, and testing research to prove they had a value proposition. And that ultimately made it difficult for the sales force. So they reprioritized, up, you know, put more engineering resources to do those studies to try to solve the problem. But it was not a quick fix. Now. Um, nothing, still have to have salespeople, have to overcome that problem because, mm-hmm. I mean, recognize that that still has to be done. But unless somebody in the company is looking around to find these problems and solve them, sales is never going to get easier, is it? 
it doesn't get easier when you got a uh, when you got a situation like that. And that's uh, you know kudos to you going deep and deep asking why 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 and right then, you know having the the leeway to try this and try that and all this stuff and having that timeline and and uh, I, I I think that's uh, where you I think those are some of the things we're running into uh, with these quarterly value reviews uh, with our clients. Oh, interesting. That that's allowing us to uncover and bring to them that third-party consultancy side of our business that we're able to help them discover that, you know, while they, you know, the salespeople are always going to have a responsibility to do their part, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, they, they have to do their part and, you know, try and not put it off. But this is where we can go in and say, you got this issue that we see over here, this issue, what have you tried over here? And help them see the big picture, right? And we've all heard, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Um, and that's one of the main things that we run into. And, and it's uh, uh, another reason to have a system in place is yeah. far too often people are very reactionary and they just react to whatever's in front of them today. I, I'm really, really encouraged uh, to hear you say that. Because um, when I started, Back 15 years ago, I knew that a lot of every, every company I ever worked for, we needed better sales process. And so I set off to help people create better sales processes, and we were good at it. But over time, I learned something. And I didn't learn it by myself. Some other people came alongside and helped me to realize it. But it was that no. Because you could give them a new sales process and only 5 or 10% of the salespeople would actually adopt it, you know. <laughs> and the rest of them might use 5 or 10% of the training that they got, right? They got something out of it. Uh, but they didn't really uh, change anything. And, and what I realized was that they didn't really need a new sales process. They needed a process. They needed a way to improve the process they already had. And so that goes to your quarterly meetings where some of these more intractable things that are outside the purview of the sales department um, to surface those and have a way of tracing it down and and improving, actually making a change that makes sales easier just to hear you say coming from the training industry that you guys are aware of that, your clients are starting to be aware of that, and that there may be, you know, management's may be becoming more ready to follow that path, um, that's really encouraging to me. I'm glad to hear. Absolutely. And that, that becomes very apparent when we put, you know, the you know, that's the sales department and the sales organization is where, you know, our, uh, we're known for. And mm-hmm. so we're always going to, you know, help out there, start putting those uh, accountability, uh, accountability structures in place and those things. And, all of a sudden, if your salespeople are doing their part and, you know, things aren't moving forward, all of a sudden that highlights other issues within the organization that make mm-hmm. it, you know, easier to even see uh, that, hey, we have this problem over here that we need to go address. And we help people with that, at least, uh, you know, seeing that problem and uh, then what the solution looks like. Uh, who knows? Um, Very we help good. Them see that as well. Very good. Super. Well, this has been interesting. I'm, I'm real pleased we got to this place. Um, as I told you when we started out, I, I, uh, I wanted to check with a 
you know, state of the art, sort of a sales trainer type person and, and check and see the awareness of this systems thinking. And um, by golly, it's there. <laughs> oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the reason you and I uh, uh, saw eye to eye from the moment uh, we yeah. chatted. Yeah. And and so I, I, uh, I want to thank you for making yourself available for this call. Is there some way that if my audience, um, someone would like to learn more about what you do, uh, how can they get a hold of you? A couple different ways. You can always go to our website, uh, salesengine.sandler.com. And a uh, few things there. There's future events there. Uh, go to our team. You can see... Uh, me and my partner here, uh, my name is Josh Pitchford, and Mark McGraw is here in our office as well. My email address, if you want to reach out, is josh.pitchford, P-I-T-C-H-F-O-R-D, at sandler.com. Love to um, start a conversation, see if there's anything we might do to work together. Um, Super. Super. Well, Josh, thank you very much. We'll have to do this again. Hey, I really appreciate you having me on, Michael, and I look forward to the next time. Thanks again. Me too. My pleasure. Bye. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.